Welcome to the Reframers Podcast. Arguing with friends and fam about politics is hard. New plan. Let's reframe what it means to discuss and disagree by talking and listening to each other. We're the Reframers. Hello, everybody, and welcome to part two of the Reframers talking about COVID-19. Hello, part two. Let's go. Okay, we're back. This is a big one. Our first time hitting a topic twice in a week. There's a lot to say. Yeah. And thank you guys so much for the support on just the COVID episode in general. And we're super excited to come and talk to you about this again, because it is, you know, a much bigger topic than just one week's episode could kind of handle. And for the episode already being out, um, just released on Tuesday, um, we're recording this Wednesday. So the very next day, the COVID episode already has 41 downloads. So thank you guys so much already for the support. That's super encouraging. I mean, honestly, for me, um, just the fact that 41 people are downloading, listening to this is such an honor. So thank you for your support. We hope you enjoy part two. And Aaron, why don't you tell everybody what we're going to talk about in part two today? Yeah, so part one was kind of this postmortem on the last like year and a half of COVID. And today we wanted to really catch up on the most recent developments and then also address the questions that everyone sent in. And so today it's actually going to be a little bit limited in terms of topics, but we're still going to have a lot to talk about. So we're going to talk about mask mandates. There's been a lot of recent developments with that. And then we're also going to talk about vaccine mandates and vaccine passports. Those are the things that everyone wanted to hear about. So we're just going to jump in and kind of get that discussion underway. I think it's funny, Erin, that you called it a postmortem because we felt so optimistic last time we talked. It felt like things were looking up and changing and workplaces were making their back to work, return to office plans. And now we're back in the thick of it. Everybody's starting school and nobody knows which way is up anymore. So we have a lot to discuss. Yeah, it's true. Our last recording was June 14th. So it was almost exactly two months ago that we started talking about this. And it's crazy how this late in the pandemic, so much can change even just in those two months. So when we had recorded on June 14th, June 15th was the California official reopening. And the official reopening meant that people who were vaccinated didn't have to wear masks anymore. A lot of the restrictions and also just like the guidance for industries and stuff no longer applied. And there were only really restrictions for kind of like large events, like really large outdoor events or really large indoor events. We now have a universal mask mandate again, if you're unvaccinated. And also if you're vaccinated, it's for indoors, not outdoors. Schools are all required to have masks for students and teachers. And that is a CDC rule that has come out since then. And so really we have, at least as far as masking goes, kind of completely reverted from where we were a couple months ago. Funny how much can change in so little time. And some interesting things on that too, is that there have been several states who have now passed basically anti-mask legislation saying that you are not allowed to impose a mass mandate if you're a business or a school. And that's been a really big deal. I know just in the school world, like for example, in Texas and Florida, there's schools who, particularly for elementary school students who can't get vaccinated yet, are just straight up defying the state's 
you know, order that you can't require masks and saying, well, we can't be open as a school if we're not allowed to mask. So that's what we're going to do. I mean, as before, when we talked about it, masking is just so tribal and it still is. And I think it even now it's even more so with people who are vaccinated being required to wear masks again too. And that's because of Delta. That's my biggest objection, honestly, is I did more research into the actual numbers of COVID cases broken down by by demographic, by state, by age, um, and also the vaccination rates uh, along those same lines. And it, to me at this point to institute mask mandates indoors, especially for the vaccinated is, it's a power thing. It's not a science thing. To me, the data does not back that up. And so the mandates being reinstated for, for vaccinated people and for unvaccinated people, it's, it's a little, to me, it feels anti-science. It feels like a knee-jerk reaction and I do not support those actions. Yeah. I mean, just for clarity though, the unvaccinated people always had to wear masks. It, even with the reopening, if you were unvaccinated, you were supposed to be wearing a mask. And to me, this is where it really breaks down. And this is the problem, right? Like a lot of the people who are unvaccinated overlap with the people who don't want to wear a mask. And so you're really not protecting probably like who really needs to be protected because the places where masking could really make a difference, which are places that are more people are unvaccinated are also the least likely places to, to wear masks. It's a bummer for me in, and this is personal, but like San Francisco has over 70% of our population is, is fully vaccinated. And it's like an extra it's 10% on top of that, or maybe not 10%, but close on top of that has at least one dose. And so we're like a super highly vaccinated city. And for, us to have to go back to wearing masks in my office, wearing masks. It really is such a bummer. And it feels like in some ways, it feels like the people who are vaccinated and have done the right thing are like being punished by the people who are unvaccinated. And I think that this is actually causing problems with just how, how the interaction is already bad between like, say people who are vaccinated and really believe in that. And people who are unvaccinated and really, really don't want to get the vaccine. You have this mask thing on top of it. And it's like, I think there's a lot of anger from vaccinated people against unvaccinated people right now. Mm -hmm. Probably so. I mean, yeah, I, I think that that's probably true. The people that are vaccinated are being punished. I wouldn't say that the unvaccinated are punishing them. I I think that the government is punishing the people that are vaccinated because they're the ones that are instituting the mandates for the masks again. But like you mentioned, 70%, like that, that 70% number is true across the country. 70% of the country has had at least one dose of the vaccine. So that's, that's a huge portion. Three quarters of the nation is, has had at least one dose. That's, that's a ton of vaccine rollouts. Yeah. Is it 70% of everyone or 70% of the eligible adults or okay, eligible so people to be vaccinated. Cause that thank, is a different number. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, no, it is. You're right. It's 70% of adults have had at least one dose. Adults. Okay. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, thank you for, for that. Um, Cause I think the number is more around like that 50% range of everyone. If you include like children and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So 70% of eligible people have, have had at least one dose. And, and I, I would say fairly confidently that the remaining 30% have had the opportunity to get the vaccine. At this point, they're choosing not to, most likely, right? There's been so many campaigns and promotions that the government has done to give the vaccine out for free. So it's not a cost thing. Uber was getting in on the action to say, we'll give you a free Uber ride to and from your, your vaccine appointment. So 
I would say at this point, going back to our feelings that we touched on during the war on drugs episode, at this point, it's a personal decision. You're making a risk assessment to not get the vaccine, given all the data that's out there. To me, that feels like you've made your choice. And I know that that probably sounds harsh, but the rest of the people, the 70% of adults that have been vaccinated should not be punished with a mask mandate or having to show a vaccine passport to go about their, their daily life. It's true. But then here's, here's the counter to that is everyone who can't get vaccinated, right? Like, and that is a huge issue. It's the kids who can't get vaccinated yet. It's immunocompromised people who, even if they are vaccinated, are still susceptible to particularly the Delta variant, which is just way more contagious. I was listening to an epidemiologist the other day. I didn't pronounce that right, but I'm just going to blow past that. Um, And uh, she was saying that one of the problems with Delta is that the viral load of Delta is so much higher than garden variety COVID basically. So that's Mm -hmm. something that makes it more contagious and potentially can also make it more severe just because you have so much more of the viral load in your body if you have it. And so it is particularly dangerous to immunocompromised people. It also might be why it's more dangerous to children. There's more children in the hospital than there has been before. And we now know, and this is a bummer, but it's true that breakthrough infections are a thing. And you might not be at risk of serious disease if you're vaccinated. In fact, you're probably not at risk of any kind of serious disease or being hospitalized, but you could still definitely get it. And the more people we have vaccinated, the less likely it is that it's going to spread through society. What is a breakthrough infection? A breakthrough infection is when you've already had the vaccine and you still get COVID anyway. Which is another reason why there's this like push for mass mandates right now. I think that if you, I don't like it. I don't know that I totally disagree with it though. Cause I think with our current situation, it probably does make sense for if people aren't getting vaccinated, like this is a problem and there are more people being hospitalized and that's a strain on the healthcare system, especially on these poor like healthcare workers and doctors and nurses who did this for the last year and a half. And now Mm -hmm. there's these rises in cases and hospitalizations again, and they're doing it again. So, I mean, like it sucks, but really, I guess like whatever we can do to help that situation, I want to be able to do, but I think short of a vaccine mandate, the masking is just not going to, it's not going to do it. It's not the most effective thing that we could do right now. No, I mean, the most effective thing is, is for everybody to get the vaccine. That's what the science and the data has shown is that even if you do have a breakthrough case of COVID, you've, it's more like a cold, you know, it's not like you're going on a, a ventilator and, and having to be in the hospital quarantine for weeks on end. It, it's a much more mild case. So even though there are breakthrough cases, it, they're not as severe as they would be. And, and I just want to clarify, I'm not like, I'm not anti-mask at all. I think if you want to wear a mask, like I would say about anything, like it's a free country. Like you can definitely choose to wear a mask. I am anti-mask mandate at this point for a host of reasons. And let me kind of just quickly shoot those out. So the CDC has some information on their uh, website about you know, conclusions of cloth mask effectiveness. And it says that they are inferior to the medical masks, which I think everybody has kind of known since the beginning. Cloth masks are a more suitable option for community use when medical masks are unavailable. Again, that's kind of known, but protection provided by cloth masks may be improved by selecting appropriate material, increasing number of mask layers, and using those with the design that provides filtration and fit. Cloth masks should be washed daily 
and after high exposure use by using soap and water or other appropriate materials. So I would say probably most of the masks that are in use are cloth masks and are you know, not very effective in keeping out the virus. But then I also have SwissResearch.org and they did a study on the effectiveness of the face masks. And they have 10 different data points here showing that as soon as, or shortly after mask mandates are implemented in various countries, Austria, Belgium, France, Germany, UK, United States, Spain, that the COVID load went up after that. COVID numbers of cases increased after a mask mandate was put into place. You know, I think if you're wearing the N95, if you're using the, the masks in an appropriate way with there's training to use that PPE. It's not just like put it on because you are touching your face, putting the mask on and off. So doing it in the right way is effective, but just having a cloth mask. I mean, I don't know the last time I washed ours, frankly, it's not effective for a government policy that when 70% of the country is already at least partially protected. So, I mean, that study, that's interesting. I wonder if that's because though, that mask mandates typically go into place when cases are rising. So the cases are going to continue to rise by nature of just the timing of when the mask mandate went to place. Like, I'd just be curious about the controls there. Because mm-hmm. there's it's also not... studies that show that like masking does help slow transmission. It does. No, I, th- I think that that's absolutely correct. But I don't think that in terms of a broad-based policy strategy for an entire nation at this point, a year and a half in, that a mask mandate is the effective way to control the spread. Go ahead, Gas. Okay, so I have a question. I feel like a lot of times when I try to think about Zach's point of view on things, my understanding of your point of view is that you're always trying to make sure that our decisions are being based on what makes the general population the most free. And I'm trying to wonder, what do we have to gain by not having a mask mandate? I know that technically, like because you're not having a mandate, that means you don't have a mandate, you're free. But we're not safer. We're not protecting each other. I don't understand. You can't require people to get vaccinated. And now we're saying, you know, the mask mandate is not is not something we should be doing. It's that's not cool. That impedes people's personal freedoms. I just don't understand what could be done in your mind that you think would be more appropriate, because this seems perfectly appropriate to me. People have proven themselves to not be willing or able or interested in making the choice for themselves and their fellow neighbors. And I don't know why you wouldn't think it was appropriate to say, okay, fine. If the cases are rising, then you all have to wear a mask and everybody has to wear it because it keeps the most people safe. And it's across the board. It's not like we're going to scan you on the way in. And if you're not vaccinated, you have to wear Like they're just saying, okay, well, since we're trying to protect your other freedoms, we all just have to wear it. So I, I, saw Aaron pop up just quickly because I think that we can't mandate the vaccine yet. And the only reason that is, is because it's emergency use. If that's what I would guess you were going to say about that, Aaron. I was just going to say, I think that that is a little bit more of a nuanced conversation actually. And that there are forms of vaccine mandates that are already happening with like employers and stuff like that. So I don't think, I just don't think it's true to say like wholesale, we can't mandate the vaccine. And we can talk about that more in a little bit. Sure. But then to answer your question, Cass, there's emerging data that's coming out to show that mask wearing, especially like for kids in school, is actually having deleterious effects. You know, masking full time can actually increase risk of illness because 
of a very variety of factors. Things that we all have dealt with in the last year, right? If you wear glasses, it impedes your, your vision. It has an increased likelihood to cause acne. In addition, because it's you're breathing and there's so much condensation and humidity that builds up in the mask, it actually can attract more pathogens and actually can be another vector of transmission of illnesses rather than not having it. My opinion is that there's not data that shows that mask mandates are an effective blocker of spreading the virus. And if there is data showing that masking actually can uh, increase illness among people that wear masks for a long period of time, then that's why I don't think that it makes sense. That feels wrong to me. Does that feel wrong to you, Erin? Yeah, it does. I think that there are competing studies that show that masking is effective, that masking in schools has helped schools stay opened, you know, and maybe there are some effects that the acting thing makes sense to me, but what's the trade-off, you know, like acne or COVID it's that, that makes sense to me. I, you know, so I don't know, I'd probably need to go research that more, but I mean, I'm hesitant to take that at face value. As am I, I don't think it makes sense to make the comparison that, oh, you might get acne or fog up your glasses and a kid can't see the board as well to what good can be and has been done by having people wearing masks. Like Erin said, having people being able to be in their place of work and in their schools, it's not the same. And my question is, again, just why not? Even if it helps even sort of even a, a percentage, whatever percentage you're happy with, why wouldn't it make sense to still, like, why can't you back a, a mandate if it's doing more good than harm? Okay. Can I answer this real quick, Zach? I, so this is a different answer than I think that you would be looking for. I think that it's a half measure and what we should actually be doing is just mandating vaccines. And that's a reason not to have the masks. It's not going to do what we really need it to do. And what do we really need to happen? We need people to get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't expecting that as the answer to that question, but I think that that is probably true. I would not be probably in favor of the vaccine mandate. I would encourage people to go get the vaccine though, because I think it is the most effective thing. By the way, the article that I am referring to about masks actually being deleterious specifically to children is it's in the wall street journal. It's a you know, legitimate source. And it's called the case against masks for children by Marty Macari. And it says uh, masks can cause severe acne, other skin problems. The discomfort of a mask distracts children from learning by increasing air resistance during exhalation. Masks can lead to increased levels of carbon dioxide in the blood and masks be vectors for pathogens. And that's linked um, if they become moist and are used for too long. And then it talks about a study that was done in Ireland. Masking may exacerbate anxiety or breathing difficulties for some students. We have a guest. Oh my gosh. It's Cassie and Zach's dog, Dallas. Yes. Hello, Dallas. I was just saying for some of those, there's also medical exemptions for masks. So some of the things that you just listed, like child having high anxiety because of a mask issue, you know, like there are, you can have alternatives and then also different uh, accommodations for people who can't wear masks because of medical reasons. And so like a lot of the things that you just listed sounded more like one person or a few people might deal with that. Not every single kid in every age is going to deal with that. And I don't think it's enough to justify no masks at all in schools. I think that's, I think that masks are how schools stay open right now without having mandates on the vaccine. 
And also vaccines are not approved for children under 12. Mm-hmm. So what are the what are the measures that we can take right now? And this is another reason actually to have masking until hopefully we have more vaccination because of children. And like I said before, immunocompromised people, especially with what we know now about breakthrough infections, masking can help stop breakthrough infections too. people who are vaccinated, even if you're only around vaccinated people could still transmit the virus back home to their kids or whoever that can't get vaccinated yet. I think this may be one that that we're probably not going to be able to come to a consensus on because I don't see the benefit of it. I have from CNS News, as of Wednesday, August 4th, a total of 349 children ages 0 to 17 have died of COVID since the pandemic began in January of 2020. So a full 19 months ago. Children account for 0.057% of all COVID-involved deaths. And so to me, given the, the information that I've seen about masks, and then the the low rate of, of kids actually being able to contract the disease, it doesn't make sense to institute the mandate. I think encouraging people to get the vaccine, even maybe requiring the vaccine, is a better step forward. I agree that that it is a half measure. It's not it's not an effective tool. I feel like I'm putting the screws to you a lot today, but isn't a half measure better than nothing? I don't think so. I at best I'll admit it's a half measure, but because of the negative implications. I don't think it's it's a good measure at all. I, it's I, not like wearing a mask sometimes causes COVID. Like that's different. This is doing way more good than harm. Where's where is your evidence in that? What do you mean? How do you know that mask mandates do way more good than harm? Because the the studies that I've seen do not show that that's the case. I I would be curious to see where requiring everyone to wear a mask is actually decreasing. The spread of COVID because I there's 10 studies here that show that that's actually not the case. But aren't there studies that show in certain areas that have high transmission of COVID that uh, the percentage of people are not vaccinated more than others? And, and you can go in their grocery stores and see which people are not wearing masks. Like I don't have numbers in front of me, like you guys on some of your stuff. So maybe somebody will have to look it up later, but it just seems really irresponsible, I think, to say, I don't think it does enough and we should just trust people because I think people have proven themselves not to be trustworthy and are just jumping right in and being like, I'm just not going to. And maybe that's a personal choice, but it affects so many other people that it's irresponsible to allow people to make that call for so many others around them. Does that make sense? I I get where you're coming from, Cass. I just don't agree. Honestly, I, I just don't. I think that saying it's irresponsible to allow people, it that feels very much paternal again. Going back to kind of part one of this episode where, where we talked about the paternal role or the over, paternal overstepping of the government, it doesn't feel scientific to me. I mean, just quoting one or two of the, the studies that I have from the SwissResearch.org page says that a 2015 study, so this is even before, found that cloth masks were penetrated by 97% of particles. And then an August review of a German professor in virology, epidemiology, and hygiene, and that there is no evidence for effectiveness of face masks, and that improper daily use of masks by the public may in fact lead to an increase in infections. I think it makes people feel better. I think that it makes people feel like they're safer. Um, But I don't think that there is scientific data to show that a government top-down mask mandate is an effective tool in slowing the spread of COVID. So I have a competing study 
looked up reduction of secondary transmission of SARS in Beijing households by face mask use. It found that face masks were 79% effective in preventing transmission if they were used by all household members prior to symptoms occurring. And there's like four other studies cited in this too. Risk reduction of 70%. This is from a peer-reviewed article from early this year in January, 2021. So I'm just gonna put it out there that I also see studies and I've just looked this up right now, but I've read them prior to this and I just don't have them you know, at my fingertips the way you do that show that masking is effective. So I don't think that it's just a settled issue that, you know, masks are not doing anything. I'll, I'll say masking can be effective, but that's using the right level of mask with the right technique of application and probably throwing the mask away after it's being used so much time, like hospitals and nurses and stuff have been using masks forever, right? Like that's, that's not new tech. So, but for us just using a cloth mask and throwing it in our purse or throwing it in our, our drawer by the door, I don't think is the way that they're supposed to be used and is probably not effective. I have two things I want to say about this real quick. First of all, as far as kids, the cases have actually, they have been climbing for kids. This is from the New York Times from July 22nd to July 29th, nearly 72,000 new pediatric COVID cases were reported and 101 children tested positive in July up from just 12 in June. So I don't know where your numbers were at from before. And I think those were hospitalized cases, but the numbers are going way up because of Delta for children who are also getting the virus. So I know that that is an issue right now too. Like if you can look up, those numbers are going up. Second thing I wanted to say is I take your point about the effectiveness of cloth masks versus other masks. And there's a mandate in California right now. This is under Cal OSHA. They have emergency temporary standards that are for employers. Cal OSHA regulates workplace safety. And one of the requirements in Cal OSHA is that employers have to provide unvaccinated employees N95 masks. And if you're unvaccinated, you can request the mask. If the employer requires it, you have to do this like long thing about having this respirator program, which is super annoying. But those are like what California is requiring employers to hold right now. So maybe it isn't just cloth masks, but I think that there are government mandates that are taking into account what's effective and what's not as far as masking goes. And the only thing that I would say too is there hasn't been a mandate on what kind of mask people have to wear. So it has been relatively open to people being able to purchase whatever they determine is going to be, you know, checking the box. People are pulling their shirts up over their face. They're wearing bandanas. Like we've been very lax about this mandate. And so mostly I would just wonder, as is the goal of our podcast, to understand where you're coming from. And I feel like I'm getting a little bit of that, but also what would you do? That makes me think of this is not that important, but it makes me think of those stupid little like mesh masks that people had. Why do you even have anything on your face at that point? <laughs> yeah. Just cheating. Yeah, they are. It's yeah, exactly. I would probably say you have had access to the vaccine. You've had access. It's been out for, I don't say six months. At this point, you're making a choice not to, not to get it. I would not institute a mask mandate. I, I think I would encourage people to get the vaccine. Even like we talked about earlier, if you have a breakthrough case, like the vaccine, it shows that you're going to have a much more mild case. I would not require that. Honestly, I don't think that it's, it's a good idea. So I think you're, you're looking for an answer for me of something that I would do, but I'm small government. I would not want 
them to do anything. I think at this point, let's, let's make sure that we have anybody who wants the vaccine should be able to get it. We can help mobilize in that way, you know, free public transit, if you want to go, you know, get your vaccine or whatever. Like, I think that there are things the government can do to help make that an easier thing. I think a lot of that's been done already, but I would not require a mask mandate. Your argument just doesn't take into account people who can't get the vaccine. I think like, for me, that's the biggest thing. So that may be true, but are we going to set policy for the entire nation to say everybody has to wear a mask in perpetuity? Because that's the other thing that complicates this and it expands into the rest of the topics that we're going to cover today is what's the metric for success? You know, is the metric zero COVID? Because that's just not, it's not going to happen. We're never going to have COVID go away. We live with the flu. We live with common colds. We live with many other illnesses that are persisting year after year. And we don't treat those in the same way that we're treating COVID right now. Granted, COVID is higher. I understand that, but I don't think it makes sense to to set at a at a public policy level mandates that punish everybody else. I, I think that that it's doing it's infringing on people's ability to live their life in the way that they want more so than benefiting. I guess I like I would agree with you, except for that there's still so many people, particularly children, who can't get the vaccine. So I think that's limited. You know, like kids can get flu shots if they want. And I agree, like, yeah, we don't do masking for the flu. And there's a lot of, I think, doctors and scientists who are like, maybe we'll mask all the time after this, just in general. I don't really think that's going to happen. I don't think the American public really has an appetite for that. But the goal is actually to get to a place where COVID is like the seasonal flu. But the problem is we're not there yet. And that's an issue. And, um, this other, this podcast I was listening to with this doctor was, um, it was on, uh, Ezra Klein was talking about the mutations of viruses over time and that this virus is mutating so much. And he was asking, well, is that normal? And she said, yes, actually, when we have early viruses that are moving through the population, they actually tend to mutate a lot faster. And then they kind of level out after a few years, which is why it's really important to have high levels of vaccine early on vaccination to, you know, affect the mutation of the virus. And so I think that because we're not there yet, the vaccine has not been approved by the FDA, uh, except under the emergency use authorization, and it's not approved for children yet. Those are reasons that I see why mass mandates are still necessary, unfortunately. It's not the approach that I would take. A large part of that worry goes away when it is approved. And I saw something today that I think Pfizer and Moderna are, are saying that it, they expect to get hundred percent authorization pretty soon in the next coming months. Um, in which case, you know, the children aspect of it goes away like that. That's no longer relevant. I go back to if anybody who wants to get the vaccine can get it. Uh, I, I feel like a little broken record, but I just, I don't think that that those reasons are, are enough from a, a public policy perspective. Again, I'm, I'm not anti-mask. I'm just anti-mask mandate. So what's next? I was sorry. I was so confused because your voice came out of a different video. I was like, she didn't. What? <laughs> Technical difficulties from the closet. Sorry. The ventriloquist. <laughs> so confused. Yeah, I think we should move on. So um, we have kind of gone around it a little bit already, but I think we should talk about vaccines and vaccine mandates. Yeah. I'm curious, Zach, if you're going to think that this is the way to go, or if you're going to feel the same as the masks. Stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to give just a really brief overview of kind of like where the law stands right now. When you're talking about a vaccine mandate, I just want to be really clear. We're not talking about 
forcing people to get vaccinated. That's not actually what you're discussing when you talk about vaccine mandates. Someone, you go into the doctor's office and they hold you down and jab you with a needle. I like, I don't know how many people think that that's what that means, but that is not what it means, right? What we're talking about is basically limiting certain services, certain things that you can do if you're not vaccinated. So we talk about vaccine mandates. That's kind of what I'm talking about. It's not even... The federal government says you have to be vaccinated. Even if the federal government or states or someone pass a law like that, it would basically say you can't do X if you're not vaccinated. So, you know, it might effectively be a vaccine mandate, but it's not like you're going to get dragged into a hospital to get vaccinated. That's not how this works. So I just want to make that clear, first of all. And then second. Great to clarify. Thank you. Yeah. Good good clarification. (laughs) I thought they were going door to door and just jabbing people. Knock, knock. Who is it? You'd be surprised about some of the things that you see in the dark recesses of the internet. There have already been some vaccine mandates, as people have probably seen. So there's a bunch of colleges that have required their students to get vaccinated in order to come onto campus, come back onto campus. Recently, in the last like month, there have been hospitals and other kind of medical care places that have required their employees to get vaccinated in order to be really to be employed. Biden was also um, talking about requiring federal employees to get vaccinated as well. So there, this stuff is kind of already happening. And California, uh, Governor Newsom actually announced, I think yesterday, very recently, that teachers in California are going to be required to be vaccinated or submit to weekly testing. And that's another common thing that's going on right now is vaccinated or these other restrictions are going to apply to you. And just so everyone knows for vaccination, the same, same thing as with for masks, There are exemptions under the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. You can have a medical exemption. And then for equal uh, opportunity for unemployment, you can also have a religious exemption. But, you know, the government has indicated the Department of Justice and the Equal Equal Employment Opportunity Commission have both issued guidance that basically says employers can mandate uh, vaccines. So... And I think that that's probably the biggest mandate that that would require someone to get vaccinated. If their job requires it, they either leave that job, which they can do. They'd have the choice to leave the job or they get vaccinated unless they have one of these medical or religious exemptions. You know, this this is tough because a lot of like we talked about, I think, in the gun control episode is that a lot of your personal rights are add on with each other. Your example that you used, Aaron, was that if you have your right to, you know, peaceably assemble, but you're you know, worried that somebody's going to come and shoot up the mall or something like that uh, because of their Second Amendment right, then really you don't have that Fourth Amendment right. So this is where it gets a little murky, I think, for me, because while I have said a couple times just today that I think that the vaccine is going to be the most effective thing to slow the spread and, and make COVID how we treat the flu, I think that requiring vaccines might lead to some really potentially sticky situations uh, for our country. And I say that because among the among the 70% of adults that have had at least one dose, among that data, so two thirds of, of those people, 62% are white, only 12% are black, and only 17% are Hispanic. So by implementing vaccine mandates for your employer or for you know, the federal government, that's at present having a hugely disproportionate impact on minority populations simply because of the rate of current vaccinations. Um, so to me, that, that poses a huge 
issue where, okay, fine, we want to slow the spread. We want to get this, this virus under control. But if it's excluding 88% of Black people from going and, and doing these things, you know, African-Americans, that's, that poses a huge issue, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's been very much in the conversation, right? Like the minority populations that are less likely to get vaccinated or want to be vaccinated. And there's a lot of conversation right now about, okay, how do we, you know, educate? How do we convince people that we should get vaccinated? Unfortunately, for, you know, say African-American people, they've been really hurt by the health system and by the government in the past. And that's one of the reasons they they think there's this uh, hesitancy to get vaccinated. And I understand that. I guess I would say, I think it's, it's a push just to continue doing the education. And I think it's, it's a public health measure at this point and we need it. I understand that argument, but I don't think, I guess I just don't think it's like prohibitive of just continuing to do everything that we can do to make sure that people get vaccinated. It'll be really interesting to see how this goes because like I said, vaccine mandates are not really just the government saying everyone has to get vaccinated. It is gonna be sort of this filter through society thing. And you know, we're in a place where that's like probably gonna happen eventually, I think. There's a lot of employers already who are requiring vaccinations from people or you know, unless you have these exemptions, but there's states that have similar to the mass have passed anti-vaccine. You can't mandate vaccines. And the biggest thing I worry about when you talk about like vaccine mandates is like honestly huge protests and just like uprisings and stuff. I I think that that is a worthwhile thing to consider because there are enough people who feel strongly enough about this that I think that just needs to be like, at least in people's minds when we talk about this, even though I am like pretty pro doing these kinds of employer and business and travel mandates. I think that those are valid concerns for sure, Aaron. You know, you mentioned that that there's some concerns about people and, and skepticism for people getting the vaccine. And one of those is the the Tuskegee study. How do you how do you not talk about that in, in this conversation where basically it was a study that was conducted you know, in the 1932 through 1972, so 40 years, and it was the government, it was the CDC, and it says the purpose of the study was to observe the natural history of untreated syphilis. Although the African-American men who participated in the study were told that they were receiving free health care from the federal government of the United States, and they were not. I can't draw causality, but I do think that because of the United States history, um, the CDC's history in this area, um, that is fueling some of this skepticism, understandably so. So I do agree with you that like pushing and educating the vaccine is a good thing. I think, you know, just the mere point that 70% of the eligible population has received, you know, is good. And I think that we should use that number more and more and more. So people realize, oh, wow, almost three quarters of every adult that I talk to is, has been vaccinated. That's a good thing. But I do think your concerns about, you know, unrest and, and riots and, and all of that is, is also pretty valid. Yeah. What's up, Cass? I just have a question. Did you say what the Tuskegee was at what they were actually doing in place of the free healthcare? They gave them placebos. I think you did say that. I think so. Yeah. It, it says that they were uh, to observe the, the natural history of untreated syphilis. So I, I think the, the gist of it is that the participants in the study had syphilis and they were being told, we're giving you free healthcare to treat these things. Oh. But in fact, they were not getting any treatment whatsoever. And so what happened was, it was supposed to last only six months. It ended up going on for 40 years. At the, at the conclusion of the study, 
28 patients had died directly from syphilis. Another 100 had died from complications related to syphilis. And 40 of the patient's wives were infected with syphilis. 19 children were born with congenital syphilis. A pretty big and deliberate FU, honestly, to, wow. to the community um, and to our own people. So that's just abhorrent. The fact that we were doing this for 40 years explains a lot of the hesitancy. It ended in 1972. Like that's in living memory. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the things you don't know about if it's not in your frame. But I, there's no way I would have heard of that. I'm in California and I'm white and I was born in 1993. Like it didn't remotely cross my mind that that could be something people are concerned about. And that's awful to think about. Pretty terrible stuff, honestly. And the last thing that I would say is if you're requiring a vaccine and, and we have a vaccine mandate, what it's doing is segregating populations, right? Into, okay, I'm a business that I require a vaccine to enter or to work at, and I'm a different business and I am not requiring it. Now you're having a bunch of unvaccinated people all hanging out together, going to the same restaurants, going to the same stores, which is counter to the intent of the vaccine mandate will in fact probably increase the spread of COVID-19 because you have all the unvaccinated people hanging out together. So I agree with you. I think this will probably happen eventually, but in the short term, I think it poses a lot of serious drawbacks. I think that's already happening. There's already the, like unvaccinated people congregating. Case numbers case numbers are already going up mostly among unvaccinated people. Unvaccinated people have been in the 90% of the people who are in the hospitals right now. I think this is already happening. And whatever we can do to get that number down, and I think it will go down if you have some of these mandates, I think it's worth it. From your perspective, Erin, are there any objections that you have to mandating somebody get a vaccine? Like I said, you've had the opportunity to take it. To me, it seems like we're forcing people to do something. Again, I do support the vaccine. I am vaccinated, but I'm, I'm arguing from more of the freedom, you know, small government side of things. Like, are there any objections that you have to mandating this? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. I think that it's hard because we do have vaccine mandates. This isn't out of nowhere, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, we require students get vaccinated to go to school. And also just, I have a quick sidebar on this. I have like a bunch of people in my circle who are, you know, very kind of against, they're not fully anti-vax, but they're kind of against, they're kind of anti-vax. And one of the things they talk about is like how many vaccines are required for, for kids to go to school and how that's a huge problem. And I reviewed just like a couple days ago, like how many vaccines are required to go to school. And it's not that many. It's like, like less six. than 10. Oh, it, okay. Yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, they're like multiple doses of it. And I, so I think total, it's like maybe 20 doses or something, but it's like less than 10 different vaccines that are required to go to school. We do require this. We do think that it's okay in society for certain things, for certain really public things. And I understand that this is a new vaccine. And I think that is the biggest issue, right? That people have. And we're waiting for full approval from the FDA, which they expect to have by like September or October because it's a, it's a six month trial process. That's what they're waiting on is doing this, like these longer term trials. I wonder how much that's really going to make a difference for people. A lot of people I think have said like, oh, it's not fully approved. So I'm waiting. But then they talk about like wanting long-term studies what does that mean? I think that their excuse is going to go away a little bit when uh, the FDA approves it, which they will. That's the thing. Like it, yeah. it's going to get approved. So 
if you look at that, especially once there's approval, I guess I can kind of understand someone when it's just under the emergency use authorization being more hesitant. Mm-hmm. To me, millions of people have been vaccinated. I, this is an outdated number, but as of July 6th, there have been 330 million doses of vaccine administered throughout the world. And it's just, we are studying side effects, We're, it, but this is a huge sample size. And we just know that there aren't these really big side effects. And a huge portion of our country, of the world is vaccinated right now. And so I think there is, evidence to show that there is good reason for this. And then when you look at the effects of COVID against the effects of the vaccine, from everything we know right now, COVID has much worse effects that are much more longer lasting. We know that COVID has been shown to have lasting damage to heart muscles, even in people who only had mild symptoms, that there might be lung damage, that there can be these neurological issues, that pneumonia is often associated with it. You know, there's all of these things that we know about COVID that are bad from all the evidence that we have of the vaccine, from the fact that it is under this emergency use authorization, the whole world is using it. It's, it's been vetted. I guess I don't see a huge difference between it and these other vaccines that are so accepted like polio and measles. Measles in particular, I think is a, is a better comparison maybe than polio because polio is a, such a serious disease. But COVID kills people, measles kills people. We have vaccines for both. I just don't see why we shouldn't be pushing this more, maybe with the caveat that we wait until it's fully approved. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel about like United Airlines came out and said that we're mandating all of our employees to have the vaccine or you're fired. And CNN has fired, I think three employees because they haven't been vaccinated. So right now the vaccine still is in that emergency use phase. And you have employers who are firing people based off of this. To me, that feels a bit of an overstep because it's not federally mandated, right? It's not MMR. It's not chicken pox. It's not polio. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Because that's people's livelihoods that they're losing. I think that the exemptions are a fair enough reason. So if you, if you get it under, an, if you don't want it under an exemption, you don't get it under the exemption. Beyond that, it's a little bit of a different scenario than like you said, measles or polio, because we are in a pandemic and these are private businesses. And I understand why a private business wouldn't want someone who is unvaccinated, who, if they catch COVID has to be out for 10, 14 days. And I mean, that, that could potentially be really disruptive to their workforce, to, to how they run their business. Someone who's vaccinated, not only are they going to have, not only will they not be sick as long if they do get COVID, Mm-hmm. But say they even get it, their quarantine period is much shorter. You know, there's all of, I think there's all these business reasons why a business would actually want to do this right now. And at this point, you know, I don't think that's really infringing on freedom. That's a personal choice. If, if that's what your employer requires and you don't want it. I have a question, but my dog is here. So I'll do my best. I'm thinking about it in terms of like a business's freedoms or ability to do what they think is right compared maybe to a personal choice. So for example, I saw a stat on a friend's Instagram the other day where she said that 23% of pregnant women are vaccinated. 23. That's so small, but you get it right. Because this is a relatively new disease 
and people are scared. They don't want to get something that's going to give their baby some kind of issue or have these lasting effects. And I know for me, I would be more worried about getting COVID and, but that's a personal choice. And so if that person is like having to deal with family planning and now they're worried about losing their job because they wanted to not get pregnant and have this vaccine, I just wonder like, are we prioritizing a business's freedoms and right to do what they want to do over individual people? Depends on what you're talking about, right? Because if you're talking about someone who's in pregnancy, they might be able to get a medical exemption for that. How easy is it to get a medical exemption for something like this, Aaron? Do you know? I'm not really sure. It's actually, it's easier to get a religious exemption than it is to get a medical exemption, which is kind of interesting. There's not a lot you have to say. I mean, you have to have like, the test is a sincerely held religious belief, but it doesn't have to be like a tenant of your religion that you can't get vaccinated. And, but it is, you know, so it's so fuzzy. And one of the reasons it's fuzzy on religion is because the government is so hesitant to define what is religion, which makes sense. And this just kind of goes into a whole bunch of religious freedom, um, like constitutional law. But so th that's one way, right? But then there's the, the medical exemption. Basically, you need a certified physician. So it can't be like a chiropractor or like someone like that. And they have to sign a letter basically that says that you can't get vaccinated for this medical reason. So I wouldn't say it's like super easy, but it's also not like you have to jump through a ton of hoops. It's mm -hmm. If it's legitimate and your doctor says it's legitimate, you can get the exemption. The other thought that came to my mind is how weird it is to share your vaccination history at all with your workplace. Like they can do a background check on you and you consent to that most of the time. I was just thinking, you know, we've got kids going to schools and they have to give their list and say that they did it or they don't get to go to school. And I get that. And I'm actually for that. But just an interesting thought. I think it's interesting, Aaron, that you were saying that if a business wants to go ahead and do this, it's their personal choice. But like, that's kind of the same argument I was making about in the opposite direction about masks. Can you tell me if there's any, like, if you see any difference there? About like businesses should be able to decide if they want to do masks or not. Well, yeah, because before, I mean, that was my argument of saying, I, I think if you want to wear a mask, like that's a personal decision. And if you don't want to get the vaccine, like that's a personal decision. Like, I, I feel like we're, I feel like you, that's the same argument, but just in the other direction. I don't think it's exactly the same thing because I think that your argument is more on the like individual freedom, personal liberty side. And it seemed to, I guess my perspective is that mine is a little bit more on the utilitarian public health side of we have to, it's, it's more of a collectivist perspective mm. of this is how we protect all of society. And that's more important right now than protecting the like individual opinion of somebody mm, or individual okay. desire of someone. I think that we're in a specific time in history. It's, it's an emergency period. It's like being in a war or in another kind of like a natural disaster. It's something like that, right? Where we our individual rights actually do matter less in that kind of scenario. And this is true throughout history. This is like, this is a pattern of when we're in these sort of really intense national security type times, 
where individual rights tend to take a little bit of a step back. Not that it means that we don't value those and we should value those. Absolutely, we need to protect our individual rights. But I think that it's fair to prioritize a public mission in these types of times in history. Mm -hmm. It sounded like you were kind of saying the same thing I was earlier. So thanks for clarifying. Like I said, I did a lot of research into the CDC's, you know, the numbers of COVID. And just to give some context, um, the virus peaked in January of 2021. That was like the most caseload that we had since the beginning of the pandemic. Daily cases in January were 254,000. The latest data for July slash August is um, 113,000. And that's the seven day like rolling average. It's about half. It's a little bit less than half of what it was back in January. And then daily deaths, and this is where you really see the vaccines come into play, is that in January, the seven-day average of deaths in the United States was 3,642. And in July, August, the daily seven-day average is 452. Um, So it's almost a tenfold less uh, than it was at the peak of the pandemic. So um, I think that shows that vaccines are effective probably eventually vaccine mandates will come into effect. Um, and I think that the vaccine is important and people should get it. I see 452 as a number that's pretty small in comparison to where it was at. And so that's a, probably another reason why I'm a little bit more resistant to the mandates at this point, mask and vaccine. But I think it, it, it's trending that way and, and it'll probably happen anyway. Yeah, I guess I would just say, I think the number is small because of, you know, mass and, and the societal pressure to be vaccinated. And it wouldn't be that small otherwise. So it's not a reason to stop. It's actually a reason to continue these methods. I mean, for sure, the vaccine, I'm a hundred percent on board with that, but for the masks, again, I, I, we already kind of talked about that one, but sorry, real quick. Yeah, I did yeah. want to mention one thing, um, just cause I think this is interesting for people. There have been lawsuits so far about employers requiring the vaccine. So this is something that I think the the area of law is currently developing. And I think there may have been one court who has said that the the employer couldn't require it. This hasn't gone to the Supreme Court. I don't think it's gone to a federal court yet. There was one case that I wanted to mention. Um, This is Bridges versus Houston Methodist Hospital. This was a hospital who had a vaccine mandate in Texas. And um, a group of the employees sued. And one of the things that they argued, which this argument has become less prevalent over time, but it was used for a while, was basically, this is human experimentation on par with like Nazi experimentation in violation of the Nuremberg Codes, which these were uh, human rights codes passed after the Holocaust. So really, really, really extreme argument. And I just thought this judge had a really good thing to say about it. He wrote, equating the injection requirement to medical experimentation in concentration camps is reprehensible. Although her, the plaintiff's claims, fails a matter of law, it is also necessary to clarify that Bridges has not been coerced. Bridges says she has been forced to be injected with vaccine or be fired. This is not coercion. Methodist, the hospital, is trying to do their business of saving lives without giving them the COVID virus. It is a choice made to keep staff, patients, and their families safer. Bridges can freely choose to accept or refuse a COVID vaccine. However, if she refuses, she will simply need to work somewhere else. And I think that just kind of encapsulates the thought around an employer mandating a vaccine at this point. That's a hot take. Yeah. 
Okay, should we move on to uh, vaccine passports, which is very related to this vaccine mandate kind of thing? Very related, yeah. And and yeah, I think that that, that Nuremberg argument is like just horse manure. Like that's ridiculous. It's real bad. Yeah. It's really uh, bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. thanks for, for reading that. I think that's a, that's good to, you know, have as context because it is early, you know, law about this. So I think that that's important for, for people to know. Passports, show me your papers. Where do you land on that one, Aaron? So this is kind of interesting. I looked into this. I think that as far as requiring a vaccine to travel, so effectively a vaccine passport, which I think you could also call a vaccine mandate, that makes sense to me. I understand countries not wanting to deal with unvaccinated travelers right now. You know, maybe that will change in the future. But this also is in line with, you know, some countries require certain other vaccines. Like, I think you have to get a yellow fever vaccine if you're going to certain parts of Africa. Like, this is very much within precedent. And I think that it makes sense to me. Travel bans have been like a big topic during COVID. We currently in the United States still have travel bans against countries in Europe. We have it against China and and then like six other countries. And some of the countries, it's because the cases are really high. And then some of them, it's kind of because we've just had these travel bans in place for a long time and haven't taken the step to take them out. And the Biden administration is under big pressure right now from Europe in particular to get rid of the travel ban against people from Europe coming into the United States, particularly if they're vaccinated. And Europe has said that they're going to allow United States citizens who are vaccinated to travel to Europe and they want the reciprocation. And this isn't really vaccine. It's sort of vaccine passport related, right? Because you would have to be vaccinated to travel. But just got to put it out there that I think that the U.S. actually does really need to be doing that. There's not I don't think there's a reason for us to not allow travelers from Europe who are vaccinated. You know, this kind of goes to like the effectiveness of the vaccine and I think the rights that you should get if you're vaccinated. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we, we do it for Hawaii, right? Like we went to Hawaii this year and you have to either be vaccinated or you have to like produce a ne- negative COVID test. And so those things are, are there in effect already for interstate travel, you know, at least to the Hawaiian islands. And I think that Europe should be the same, right? Like the, the vaccine isn't less effective because you got it in Europe. So I think you know, for the sake of the world economy and things opening up, I agree with that. That should happen. I do see, you know, for travel specifically, especially if you're going out of country travel, that is something that makes a lot of sense because it is a global pandemic. It, it just feels like just such a safety precaution that you either produce the negative test or you have the, the, have the vaccine. So I think I'm on the same page with you as that one. Um, I feel a little bit less on board with the vaccine passport idea if it's, you know, requiring it for restaurants, you know, for interstate travel, for going about your store, you know, your daily life, that I'm not in favor of. um, But I do get it for out of country travel. Um, Let me tell you about something that is not really a vaccine passport, but sort of related that I think we will both agree with that we don't like. So um, someone sent me something about something called a freedom bracelet. And the word freedom bracelet, I think was very political. And I don't, I don't know that that's the specific title or word for it, but I did look into this and basically it was this sort of pilot program that Israel did, and they may still be doing it where if you travel to Israel, you have to do a quarantine. And and again, I don't know if they're still doing this because of vaccination and everything. And you were supposed to be required to quarantine at like a hotel where they knew where you were. 
um, and can kind of monitor your movements. But if you wanted to vaccinate in your home, you would get this bracelet. It's wearable tech and it tracks where you are. And so if you leave wherever you're supposed to be, they can know and presumably go find you and tell you to go back home. So I hate that idea. I'm actually just in general against wearable tech. I don't like Apple watches or Fitbits. I don't have either of those. I don't like the idea of all of my like personal health information and just other like location geographic information being collected by like tech companies, much less the government. So this is something where this is not being, I don't think it's being mandated. I am not sure exactly where it lands, but I just want to put it out there that like, I think this is a little bit of like a warmongering thing. Like, oh my God, this is where we're heading. This is like the slippery slope down into the like pits. And this is how all the government intervention happens. I don't think that's where we're going in the US, but I did want to mention it and just put it out there. Yeah, that's a hard note for me. I, I hope we don't head that way. I don't see a lot of that happening right now. There is something though that I was thinking about, like California has a system right now where you can get this QR code that will like buzz basically. Um, so you can buzz into places and you just scan it and it tells the business or whoever if you're vaccinated or not. Even that, I don't know what, even that I don't love, which is silly because like I, I pay Apple pay all the time. You know, it's not like it's a secret where I am when I'm with my phone, but even for that, I'm like, maybe I'll just bring my vaccine card and I'll show them my vaccine card. There's just so much information about us out there. And I think that this just COVID kind of heightens our awareness of that. Maybe I've been aware of it for sure. So, and this is something that we're going to talk about privacy and, and all of that later, but yeah, yeah, Aaron it's... won't even let us follow on, um, what's it called? By my friends. Yeah, no, I don't share my location with people. Yeah, because, but like, you look at mine, you stalker. <laughs> if you share with me, that's your choice. I mean. <laughs> I think the privacy stuff is is kind of, that's my most pessimistic area of our nation, honestly, is the like the privacy in tech. And so I think that COVID there's a layer of COVID that just falls right into that um, because specifically because of the vaccine, you know, passport argument of should this be required to, to go about normal life. But I think that that's like, that's the area of our country. I think that's the most changed and at risk is the, the privacy element. So that's kind of my stand against the vaccine passports. I keep going back to kind of what I said in the beginning of if you've wanted to get it, like you've had the opportunity, you should have been able to, if you wanted to, I think what will happen is we'll probably end up with companies and, and states like we already are that are requiring, you know, all of these things we're talking about today and companies and states and, um, you know, that, that won't require it. And then we'll see how it plays out. I'm for the, the less invasive, you know, kind of, you know, more privacy option when it comes to this, but I just, I, I'm pessimistic about it. And I think it'll, it'll happen because it's already happening, right? It's already happened. I think in New York, you know, and especially in other countries, right? Like France, they're going like checking people's, you know, vaccine status when they're outside eating in restaurants. So I think what happens in Europe tends to follow in the United States months later. Sad about that, but I think it'll happen. Yeah, I think it'll happen too. But conversely, I guess I think it will be a good thing. I think it's going to be helpful for us to have more people vaccinated. So. And I don't disagree about that. That's I think true. Will, you don't it, disagree about that. I did not conceptualize that correctly. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. I mean, I, I do think it will be good for us to have more people vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that was fun. I feel like that was a really big power sesh just now. Um, we really went through a lot. 
Yeah, I think so too. I think we kind of covered the stuff, you know, kind of took all of it. So Cassie, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Thanks as always guys for your candor and transparency and patience. We need it. Yeah. Thank you, Cass. I, uh, I appreciate all the questions and stuff this week. I think that was really helpful. And I hope the audience enjoys some of the interjections that you had because uh, I think it added a lot. So appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you to listeners for the questions that you sent in. It was really helpful to know what you were thinking about, what you wanted to listen to, and also just, you know, what's in your conversation, what's in your circle. Um, Really, really like that. So please continue to do that. Please continue to send us the stuff. Even if it's just a post on Instagram that you see that you're like, well, what do you think about this? Feel free to send that over. Just shoot it to our Instagram. We'll definitely look at it. We love when you tell us what you think and please keep continuing to do so. I know we just talked to a lot of people last week and they gave us their feedback. And number one was they wanted more disagreement. So I hope you're happy. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of disagreement today, actually. Yeah. Like the others have said, we're really grateful for all the feedback. It gives us something to go off of. This is the first time we've had audience feedback during a recording. And it was really nice. Gave us kind of a nice concrete way to go for the episode. So um, if you enjoyed this one, you know, send in your feedback, send in your questions, Um, and you'll get more of the same. So um, thank you for all your support so far. It's been really fun, Uh, especially this one was, was a pretty good back and forth. I enjoyed it a lot. For sure. All right, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Reframers Pod. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please rate and review us five stars and subscribe so you can always catch our latest episode. You can also find us on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Reframers Pod. And you can email us at reframerspod at gmail.com. 